group. So if you've got a Bible with me, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, we're just going to skip right over chapter 3 this morning because we took a kind of pause and we went through um, some more chapter 2 last week. We may come back to it at the end of the series, but we're in chapter 4. We're going to be planting in verses 1 through 16 this morning. And Paul is going to kind of hammer on this one idea this morning in verses 1 through 16. And it's simply two words. He's going to tell us to grow up. (laughs) He's going to tell us to grow up. Now, this resonates with me. And if you're a parent in here, this is probably going to resonate with you. How many of you parents find yourself time after time after time telling your children just to, listen, you just need to grow up, son. You need to grow up. I get this all the time being a young pastor who has young children. Um, Some of the older people will tell me, hey, listen, you know, you need to learn to cherish the time with your kids. You need to learn to just, you know, steward it and enjoy it. And oftentimes in the back of my head, I know that they're right, but I'm also thinking, have you forgotten what it's like to be peed on at three o'clock in the morning? (laughs) Have, Have you forgotten how ragged little kids will run you. I mean, there are simply just times in my home when I want to look at my kids and I'm like, son, what were you doing? You need to learn to grow up. But here's the truth. I love my kids, but at the end of the day, I've got five of them. And uh, Jim Gaffigan puts it this way. He says, if you want to know what it's like to have five kids, just imagine you're drowning and someone hold, hands you a baby <laughs> in the middle of that. So young kids have this ability to just simply run you ragged. And there's this reoccurring theme, right? Every parent wants to see the progress of their child simply just growing up. But at the end of the day, there's nothing worse than an adult that has not learned to grow up, right? It's worse when your wife is telling you, hey, baby, you need to grow up, right? It's worse when it's something like that. But here's the truth. No girl wants to marry a man who is still a child, right? No girl wants to marry a 35-year-old man who's still playing Pokemon Go. (laughs) Um, The truth is, every, every, if you're a, a woman in here, you want to marry a man that takes on some responsibility, right? That he's, he's kind of grown up a little bit. He's mature. He can lead a family. He has grown up. But here's the truth. At the end of the day, in this chapter, before we jump into it, Paul is going to try to make one thing very, very clear. The only way that you're going to grow up in the faith, the only way that you're really going to mature and grow spiritually is until you can learn that you have to be a part of a spiritual family. There are just simply things you will not do, risks you will not take, and things you will not learn until you are a part of a healthy family. So, Listen, if you've got a Bible, smartphone, whatever it is, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 2. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to simply just go verse by verse. So this is verse 1. I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. So let's pause right there. Humility and gentleness and patience and love, these are attributes of someone that genuinely understands the gospel. These are attributes of someone who is connected to a healthy spiritual family. And here's the truth. If you find yourself specifically today lacking patience, lacking gentleness, lacking humility in certain situations, it's only because you have forgotten the gospel. 
It's only because you have forgotten the very fact that Jesus consistently and constantly extends patience and gentleness to you. I find it funny how a lot of times, especially in our culture, we're so quick to turn the dial on other people, but yet when it comes on to us, we're so quick to beg God for grace and mercy, right? And it's only simply because we have forgotten the gospel. Ephesians 4, verse 3. And this is what we're going to kind of focus on today. And Paul says this. Not only do we have patience, not only do we have gentleness, not only do we have humility. He says this in verse 3. That we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here's what I find today. And especially with the, the rise of social media and everything going on in it. I find that Christians are ready to fight rather than seek unity. We, we would rather fight with somebody rather than seeking unity. Some of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, we love a good fight. Some of us, we love to kind of pull up the inner lawyer in us and create a, a, a kind of a self-defense, right? Rather than having empathy with people that are hurting and broken, we would love to fight, right? Today, everyone has an opinion, but not many people have solutions, And Paul is going to offer us, he's going to say, listen, if you understand the gospel, if you are growing up in the faith, if you are part of a spiritual family, then you should hate controversy. You should hate it. You should hate controversy. You should strive and you should work to create. And I I find it interesting, he uses the word that you should maintain unity. So here's what the gospel does. It creates unity, but Paul's saying, hey, you've got to learn to maintain it, right? And this is, if you're a parent in here that has young children, you understand this. In the home, you can set the law. Hey, this is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to happen. But it's something that you have to consistently maintain, right? We, we had this thing in, in my family. We got a minivan. And every time we pull up to a restaurant, like we, we turn around to all of our kids and we say, Hey, listen, how do we act in a restaurant? We don't hit. We don't bite. We don't steal other people's chicken. We don't do any of that, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then we walk into the restaurant, and it is like amnesia has just taken place, (laughs) right? They have forgotten everything that you told them. So the spirit of unity in the context of spiritual family has to be something that is maintained. You have to work for it. You have to strive for it. And Paul is about to say that unity as Christians, if we're going to learn to maintain it, is a lot like our physical bodies. So Ephesians verse 4, 4, he says it this way. There's one body and there's one spirit. There's one body and there's one spirit. Think about it this way. Think about it like your hand. You got five fingers on it and they all effortlessly work in unison. Your brain sends these signals down to your fingers, and when you go to pick something up, when you go to grab something, it just works. It effortlessly obeys your will to do whatever you want it to do. Now, at the end of the day, you have to maintain that unity in your hand. Why do we, when we mess with chemicals or when we do things, we put on gloves? Or when we operate heavy machinery, we're cautious because we don't want to lose a finger, Right? At the end of the day, it's that unity that we have to learn to maintain, that we have to steward and treasure. And it's the same way in the body of Christ. The unity and love for each other is a natural response of experiencing the gospel. The gospel is just a natural unifying thing, but it's something that we have to learn to actually maintain. And here's the truth. When we forget the gospel, 
when we forget who Jesus is and we forget what he has done for us, we begin to naturally tear the body apart. We begin to naturally tear the body apart. Here's the truth. If you like a good fight, you've forgotten the gospel. If you like a good, juicy gossip session, you have forgotten the gospel. If you don't want to live in community with others and you say, hey man, life groups, next step, I don't need to go through that kind of stuff, you have forgotten the gospel. And here's the truth. We've got to learn to stop blaming our personality for disconnectedness. We've got to learn to stop blaming our personality for disconnectedness because being a part of a spiritual family is the only way that you're going to grow in Christ. Because Paul says there's one body and there's one spirit. One body means there is one church. And the way that you're going to grow is by being a part of it. And I think the reason that so many of us use the excuse, and I found myself using this excuse in the early on in the very beginning, was I just need personal time. I don't like to be around a lot of people. And the truth was, and the reality in my own life was I just loved myself more than I did anybody else. <laughs> I didn't want to be around anybody else because I was scared to open up to my flaws and my failures. But see, the powerful thing about Mike and Megan's story is yes, they met Jesus, but they grew up in Christ by entering in to community. Man, I can't tell you, every single person that I have seen jump on our dream team, go through Next Step, and actively engage and get involved in the life of the church, spiritually, they have just grown up in Christ. They've gone to complete new levels. There is this new satisfaction, this new joy that they have found in Jesus. And here's the truth. The reason that many of us feel so lonely is because you have rejected family. You've rejected family. And look at how Paul ends uh, verse 4. He says, there's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So here's the truth. In order for the body to function properly, every part has to operate as one. Every part has to operate as one. The name of Christ is made much of when we come together as one. For those of you that kind of followed everything going on with uh, the chief of police, with, uh, with Jimmy and losing their grandson and all that kind of stuff, the reason it was such a powerful story unfolding in the middle of this is because you see a community that begins to rise up and they don't kind of tear it. Well, if this wouldn't happen, then this would have never happened. It just, people just stood up and said, let's show empathy. Let's have compassion. Let's come together as a community to support this man in his grief. And then the community is made much of, and it works the same way within the church. Everybody has giftings. Everybody has talents. And everybody in some way, shape, or form is called to engage. Everybody is a part of the body. The name of Christ is made much of when we come together as one. We're really going to make a difference in this city and in this community when we can come together as one. So let me speak for a moment in light of everything that's kind of been going on in our culture and, and I think it's helpful for us to have this because I've had many conversations with people. I've had some conversations, quite frankly, with some black pastors in town. I've had conversations with police officers and everything that's going on. And, that, and, and here's the truth. What I find just disheartening and so damaging to the name of Christ is this, is that in the middle of tragedy, rather than people learning to have empathy, we have an opinion. <laughs> 
So here's the truth. At the end of the day, when the gospel flag is the one flying the highest, we begin to see the world a whole lot different, right? When the name of Christ, when we can come together as the body of Jesus in support and say, man, people are dead, and regardless of how it's happened, I have empathy and compassion on those people. So black lives are dead. Police officers are dead. And whether, whatever your stance is or whatever your opinion, and in that moment, we're called to have empathy with those people, to be a shoulder to cry on. The truth is the reality of a nine-year-old little girl's life has changed because her dad's not coming home. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. See, when we can understand the gospel and that we are called to be unified as one, regardless of what's going on, we begin to see people as people. And that Jesus loves absolutely everyone and he grieves with every loss of life, regardless of your skin color or the uniform that you wear. But see, we lose sight of the gospel when we project our opinions rather than who Jesus is and what he's come to do, that he's come to unify us. See, if your heart doesn't break for the black men that have lost their lives and you have forgotten the gospel, if your heart doesn't break for the police officers that have lost their lives and you have forgotten the gospel, and here's the truth, the level of empathy that you extend is a direct result of how much you understand how much empathy Jesus extends towards you. Man, I, I can't tell you how many times I have a, um, a brother, and he wouldn't mind saying it. We've had many open conversations about this. He's, he's uh, 21 now, and he's, he's dealt with addiction for about six years. And um, just about... I don't know, about three weeks ago, we had a, just a huge conversation. And for six years, I've kind of walked him through just kind of getting clean and seeing him in rehab centers and seeing him come out and then falling back into the same trap again. And about uh, six, six and a half years in now, we're on a, on a phone call, and I just, I was like, man, I'm done. I, I feel like all the help that I've extended this guy is just absolutely worthless. And then I get a phone call from my pastor, Pastor Jacob. <laughs> and we're having this conversation and we're just talking through some things. And it dawns on me, man, how many times have I begged and pleaded with Jesus and said, God, I'll never do this again. And then I turn around and do it. And it gave me some new perspective on, on my brother. Like, man, I need to, God has extended me so much grace in the middle of my mess, in the middle of my chaos. I need to learn to extend the same to him. And here's the truth. You cannot experience that level of empathy until you learn how to be connected to a family. It just will not happen. See, I love the fact that I have men in my life who have come over me and just been able to be father figures to me and just be able to course correct me sometimes. Point out blindness that I can't see, things that I'm not able to recognize. So here's the thing. Now Paul's about to shift gears a little bit. Now that he's kind of showed us, hey, it's our responsibility to connect to spiritual family. It's our responsibility to grow up in Christ. Now here's what he's going to show us. Now he wants to show us the practical applications that should happen because of this. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to read just a large chunk of scripture, um, verses 7 through 16, and then we're going to kind of chat about it a little bit. So it says this in verse 7. 
But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended in the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Let me pause right there for a moment. So the moment that I got into ministry as a pastor is the moment that I got out of ministry. So here's what this means. My job now is to equip the saints. And so that's what we want to do this morning, that ultimately whatever title you hold, if it's craftsman, oil work, whatever it is that you are called to be a part of the body of Christ, that you are called to do ministry. Verse 13, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the thing that I love about Paul, how many of you men have ever just had a man come along and give you some straight talk? Anybody? And like in that moment, it was the very thing that you needed. So here's what Paul is saying. God's primary purpose in salvation is not just to save you so you can go to heaven. God's primary purpose in salvation is so that you can grasp and understand the greatest hope that you have here on this earth and so that you can turn around and begin to give it to other people. Verse 10 says it this way, that he might fill all things. Ultimately today, God wants to fill you with himself for a purpose, for a reason. And as he fills you with himself, he wants you to become a conduit of power to begin to reach a hurting and broken world. But the truth is, not only does he fill you with power, but now he gives you spiritual gifts. He uniquely wires you. He uniquely designs you with a gift that nobody else has. Now, the the sad thing, I think, for many of us, some of us, we don't know what spiritual gifts are, or simply we don't even know that we have one. So today, I kind of want to determine what they are for you and help you understand what they are and how you can ultimately, at the end of the day, use them to serve the body of Christ. So let's explore maybe three questions that we may have uh, concerning spiritual gifts. Number one, what are spiritual gifts, and how do I know what mine is? Spiritual gifts simply means this an experience or an ability God has given you that he uses to build others up. That he uses to build others up. So verse 7 and 12 put it this way. But grace was given to each one of us, so each one of us have a special grace. Verse 12, for building up the body of Christ. So here's what this means. I come to know Jesus better through your gift. I come to know Jesus better through your gift, your gift to teach, your gift to pray, maybe your gift to have compassion on people, whatever it may be. Verse 16 says, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
So some of you today, you may say, well, you know what? Um, that's great, but I don't have any gifts. I don't, I don't have any gifts because I don't have a gift to teach the Word of God. I don't have a gift to sing or play an instrument. And here's what I want to say. Just because your gift doesn't put you on a stage doesn't mean that it's irrelevant. It doesn't mean that it's irrelevant. The truth is I have the privilege to teach the gospel every single Sunday, and many people have been saved through that. But here's the truth. It wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for my wife's gift to steward and love our children. So it's a gift that you don't get to see every Sunday, right? It's not something that you visually or visibly see, but many of you have come to know Jesus simply because of her behind the scenes, stewarding and taking care of our kids so that I could study, so that I could seek the Lord. So whatever your gift may be, maybe, it's, maybe you're just good with money. Maybe you're just good with loving people, serving people, talking to people. I don't know if you guys have uh, been to the McDonald's here in Crowley, but there's this one girl that I don't even know her name, but she is like the greatest person on the face of the earth to ever take your order. She's like, oh, I don't know her name. I got to learn her name. But she's like, there, there we go. Some of you guys know it. But I, I got some coffee there this morning, and I was like, oh, what is this girl on? Because she is like awesome. I mean, you could have a bad day, and she just made you feel amazing. If you want to know, here's the catch though, if you want to know what your gift is, you have to be a part of family to affirm that and to, confir- and to confirm that. The confirmation of your gift comes by being fully known by Jesus and others. I, I can be straight up honest with you. When we started this church almost 20 months ago, I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> I remember the, the first Sunday, I woke up at, I think, like, 3 o'clock in the morning, like, to study. I, I don't, you don't need to really wake up at 3. I, don't, I didn't need to wake up that early, but I was like, I could not sleep. I couldn't think. I couldn't eat. I couldn't do anything. But I can tell you this, to be honest with you, if it wasn't for the confirmation of other men in my life saying, hey, we believe in you. We believe you have a gift to do this. We're going to be there for you. We're going to resource you. We're going to help you. We're going to stand behind you. I, man, I would have got out a long time ago. Because there's days when this is really hard and you go, God, do I, do I have the gift to do this? Or was it something that I just thought I could do and I'm just epically failing at now? But because I'm a part of a spiritual family and you have people that say, hey man, there's going to be highs and there's going to be lows. Whatever it may be, but there's people to affirm that and confirm that in my life. So number two, why is it so important that I know what my spiritual gift is? Here's the truth. Each each person in this room is uniquely gifted, and you have a particular part of Christ that only you can display and certain things only you can do in ministry. Let me prove it to you. I find this is a very fascinating fact. This This is truth right here. The human DNA code, listen to this, can be arranged in one in ten to the billionth power different ways. That's how many times the, the human DNA code can be arranged. So let me put it in plain terms for people that have no idea what that means. That's a one with two billion zeros after it. So the human DNA code can be arranged that many different ways. That's how many varieties of different human beings there are. <laughs> That's pretty unique, isn't it? And it's the same way spiritually. There's absolutely nobody else like you. 
You have gifts and you have energies that drive you and are completely different and unique. That means that you have a certain way to reach people that nobody else can. That you have a certain way to communicate the gospel to someone that nobody on this earth can do. Ephesians 2.10 puts it this, or says it this way, that there are good works that God has preordained for you. They're people that he wants you to reach that nobody else can. He wants you to use your mouth to speak deliverance and freedom to others. And here's the truth. Many of us are bored in our faith simply because we're not using our gifts. We're bored in our faith simply because we're not using our gifts. And whenever I get discouraged... I have to learn, like, okay, I've got to use the gifts that God has given me to encourage myself out of this moment. So for, for me, it's literally going and just talking with people that are down or preaching to myself, <laughs> whatever it may be. But some of you are stagnated and you've stopped dead in your tracks. You got saved and you had this radical conversion and you've fallen in love with Jesus. And then 10 years down the road, you're saying, what happened to all that passion? What happened to it? And you find yourself looking back now and 10 years later and maybe marriage is just stagnant. Life is just stagnant. Job is just stagnant. It's not enjoyable for you. Church is just a thing that you do. It's just a place that you attend. There's no joy. There's no life in it anymore. And I ask you this question. Are you using your gifts to build the body of Christ? Because there's no greater joy. No greater joy. There's no greater joy when I see people come into this place that did not know Jesus. Three, four, five, six months later, man, are serving on our dream team. I love seeing Mike and Megan on the brink of divorce now leading our dream team and our kids' ministry. Listen, so many people, we see so many people sometimes on this stage or leading, and, and we think that, man, their life just must have went so well for them. They must have just had a perfect family background. Everything must have been smooth. And there's always a story behind it. There's always a story behind it. There are parts of Jesus I will only know by knowing you and you using your gift. So the third question is simply this. Okay, why should I be involved in church then? I have this spiritual gift. I'm trying to discover what it is. So why should I be involved in church? Verse 7 says, but grace was given to each of us. And verse 12 puts it, for the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we attain it to the knowledge of the Son of God. So this is what this simply means. The power of God flows through the life of his church. The power of God flows through the life of his church. If you want to have the power of God in your life at work, then you have to be involved in building the body of Christ. So let me prove it to you. A lot of people only pray when they're in a desperate situation, right? God, my marriage is it's at the end of collapse, or God, my son needs you, or, or, or God, I'm addicted to this. Help me get out of this. And we want this kind of like Holy Ghost zap almost to just zap us, and all of a sudden everything is different in our life. Thank you, God, for the zap, and now marriage is fine. Everything is fixed. And then if that doesn't work, then the church is usually plan B. All right, well, after we've kind of exhausted all these things and tried to figure out things on our own, 
Now let's go to church. (laughs) And maybe they can help us. Here's the truth. According to Ephesians, the church is plan A because that's where Jesus' power resides. The church is plan A. So here's the truth. Let me pose this question to you this morning. Some of you pray for power, but have walked away from the power source of the church, and we wonder why God is not answering our prayers. Listen, God wants this to be so much more than a place that you just say, that's my church, and I attend there on Sunday. It's a place that I go. It's a thing that I do. So the question now is this. Well, okay, well then, how much should I be involved? Let me answer the question with a question. How much power do you want? (laughs) How much do you want to know him? That's how much you should want to be involved in the body of Christ, building it up. So let me kind of end it with this. Some of you have been sitting on the sidelines for way too long. Some of you have been sitting on the sidelines for way too long, and this is the reason that you're not mature in the faith. Some of you have been watching the game play out for way too long. It's kind of like the guys that sit in the bar room and they watch the football game and they critique every NFL player saying, well, if he would just move to the right a little bit, he probably wouldn't have got tackled. But the very moment you step in the football field, like, you're terrible, you know? <laughs> you're the guy, like, it's, it's like my Eli the other day where we set up a pool at our house and moving this big box. He's like, Dad, put your back into it. I'm like, son, shut up. <laughs> you want to carry this box? You've never done it before. And honestly, that's what a lot of us end up becoming. We sit on the sidelines. We watch the game unfold. We see all these things taking place, and here's the thing. God wants you to actively be involved in the game so that you can get joy in the end. So in love, in love, can I just reiterate everything that Paul said to us this morning? Simply, if you want to grow up, you have to be connected to a spiritual family. Being a part of a true spiritual family, whether you want it or believe it or not, is exactly what you've been searching for all along. I'm absolutely convinced that the center of every human being's heart is this sense of wanting to be known and wanting to belong to something greater than themselves. You can ask any teenager in here, 13, 14, 15 years old, hey, do you want your life to count for nothing? (laughs) And before the world has grabbed a hold of them, they have all these dreams and all these aspirations of who they're going to be and what they're going to accomplish. And that was many of you at some point. And somewhere along the lines, we've allowed the enemy to grab hold of us and say, you're better off in isolation. You're better off where people don't know you. You're better off where you don't hurt people. And the truth is, there is no greater joy than being known by family. There's no greater joy than knowing, man, when I'm broken, when I'm hurting, that I genuinely have men and women that will be there for me, that will love me, that will encourage me, that will help me through it. That at the end of the day will point me to Jesus.